Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome to the future. This is the New Zealand Tech Podcast, episode number 135. And as usual, we'll be discussing the technology that you'll be using in the future. We're in Sydney today and have two distinct sections of the podcast to share with you. First up, going to be discussing the E3 Gaming Conference in Los Angeles, um, joined by Jared Campbell, who's a gaming blogger and journalist for the Christchurch Press and Stuff.co.nz. Now, if gaming's not your thing, don't worry, you can skip forward to about the 42 and a half minute point where we'll switch to talking about some major innovations in computing from Intel and their partners. Now, other than Intel, there were two partners, uh, two companies today that uh, that have caught my attention, Sony and Acer, and I'm going to be speaking with them about some groundbreaking new products that are going to be shortly reaching the New Zealand market. So, right, let's jump in and talk E3 with Jared Campbell. Hey, Jared, uh, great to have you on the podcast. Finally, it's uh, it's been a long time ago that we, we first talked about it, and uh, here we are in uh, in Sydney. It was our first chance to sort of get together and record a podcast. Yeah, like I mean, it's uh, it's always been next time up in Auckland, get up there, but it just never happened. But uh, of all the places, Sydney, Sydney, I mean, that great. seems 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 to be the place to uh, to to catch up. Well. This week, of course, there has been just a, a torrent of, uh, that's probably the wrong word, but, you know, a, a torrent of information flowing through from uh, from E3. There's been a whole lot of other tech happenings, but I thought this week we really needed to do an extra an extra episode to talk about some of the, the things that we just couldn't fit on, uh, on our normal weekly episode. And to start with, it's definitely E3 as a focus. Now, you you talk a lot about gaming. It's a lot, a lot of what you focus on, and uh, you know some of your reporting and so on. Uh, I guess your uh, your Twitter handle, Game Junkie NZ, NZ sort of yeah. says it all, right? Yeah, well, because I mean that stems from the blog that I've got on stuff.co.nz. So it sort of a, seemed to be a natural sort of progression. But I mean, you're right. This this week is all about gaming. It's it's E3. I mean, it's the you know one of the three big gaming shows of the year. You know, you've got uh, E3, you've got the Tokyo Game Show and Gamescom. So this is you know, gamers around the world get up early for us, especially. You know, they'll get up at four o'clock in the morning and and digest the press conferences and all the stuff. And it's just, you know, it's like uh, it's like Christmas, but in June. You know, it's amazing. So, how do you manage to sort of juggle it all? Because you you're obviously blogging on gaming, um, but you know, the the bulk of what you're, what, you know, what do you do sort of day to day with, uh, you know, as a writer and so on for uh, for the press? Yeah, we'll put it with the press newspaper. So, I mean, essentially, my real role is. Um, Editing our tech and TV publications, so that's you know the box, and then we do the Dominion Post one as well. So it's a lot of the gaming content that I'll do, as a lot of gaming writers do at home. You know, mm. I've got a uh, incredibly understanding wife who'll let me uh, game after all after hours. You know, when they've gone to bed, and it's uh, you know it's one of those passions. So I mean, it's um, I've got the beauty that I can actually, you know, write about something that I really love, and that's. Uh, not many people can say that. No, that's really good. That's fan- that's fantastic. Now we're in Sydney, of course. Here, um, Intel's brought us over to uh, to, to have a look at, at, at some of the their newest, uh, uh, well, the newest the products that are coming out yeah. from their, their partners around their new uh, their new chips. So we'll uh, we'll look at, at, at chatting about that a little bit uh, a little bit later. But we're, we're we're a little bit ahead of that event, so we've got some time to sit down and and talk E three. Now this week. We, we really had the unveiling of a bunch more information about the Xbox One. Of course, that uh, information had been shared to a degree been, yeah. uh, ahead of E3. Uh, and then uh, you know, PlayStation 4 and Sony have finally unveiled the, the new PlayStation. We haven't yeah, seen what it looked like before. Exactly. What's, what's your I mean, pick? Well, it's, it's hard because, I mean, as you said, you know, in I think it was February that uh, Sony jumped the gun on Microsoft and said, you know, here is our PS4. Um, these are some of the games, but they didn't actually show the console. And a lot of people thought, you know, and probably myself included, well, you know, what does it look like? You know, is it gonna is it gonna fit beside the TV? Is it gonna look good beside the TV? So, you know, we had to wait until yesterday with the um, Sony press conference. And so yesterday we had um, both Sony and you know both PlayStation and Xbox come out and say, these are the games we've got. We finally saw the PlayStation Four. Um, and it's, you know, I think 
they're both black boxes. You know, they're both similarly powered. But I think um, for most people, it's probably going to come down to that finer detail, isn't it? On um, you know the DRM, the online, the and of course. With all and what their preferences, right? Exactly. From what, what are they using now? They're using a, yeah, PlayStation Three, or are they on an Xbox Three? That's the thing. I mean, you're always going to have your hardcore Xbox fans who will always be hardcore Xbox, and your hardcore PlayStation fans will stay PlayStation. So those camps are always going to be there. But the interesting thing will be whether what we heard yesterday could sway people who are on the fence who don't own a console. Um, you know, whether they'll swing towards Xbox or swing towards um, PlayStation. But, yeah, the interesting thing was because, of course, about three weeks earlier, Microsoft uh, talked about the TV sort of, I guess, centric um, content of the Xbox One. Yeah, that, I guess that, that's all about the concept of making the Xbox the, you know, the the one... Uh, and, and hence the name, I guess the yeah. you know the one the one device that controls your gaming and your entertainment, and you know in theory, and we don't know how this will work in New Zealand yet, but in theory, uh, your uh, Freeview decoder or your um, Skybox connected into connected the into Xbox, it, yeah. and then uh, and then that connected into the TV. So yeah, that that I guess theoretical thought that you'll be able to use your smartphone or your Xbox controller. Or your tablet to actually control the, course, the whole lot, and of course the Xbox has got their Connect too. So the Xbox One has got their uh, upgraded, you know, more super powered um, Connect sensor because with the original Connect, um, you've got voice commands so you could control games. But this time with the Xbox One, uh, Microsoft has sort of come out with this. Essentially, they want you to be able to control your TV with your Xbox. You know, Xbox on, change channel Xbox. So I think, um, and as, as you said, you know, with the name I was talking about with someone yesterday, that, you know, they said to me, oh, Xbox One, it's such a silly name. You know, why didn't they call it Xbox 720 or Xbox 3? But I guess that one is, in, you know, they want it to be the one device that you use to control everything in your lounge, you know, your TV, your movie watching, your gaming, you know. They want it to be the one. So it's it's... Microsoft, I think, are going for um, those it's a, people. It's a broader audience. It's a much it? broader audience. You know, those people that aren't necessarily hardcore gamers, but they're like watching movies or TV that they can actually get a console like this and do a bit of everything. You know, um, so I think they are aiming for a, a, a much broader audience than perhaps PlayStation is at the moment. So. Is that audience willing to spend? And we've just, you know, we we heard the uh, the New Zealand price, which is seven hundred and forty nine dollars for the Xbox One, six forty nine uh, for the PlayStation Four. Is a non gaming audience willing to spend seven hundred and forty nine dollars on you know, a, an entertainment box to plug into their TV? Are they ready to spend that sort of it's that sort big, of coin? That's a lot of money, it's, isn't it's it? It's a big ask, probably. It's probably a big ask for somebody who isn't interested in the gaming to plonk down you know $750 on something that will let them change from channel 2 to channel 3 or whatever so I think there's um, got to be a lot more to it doesn't there there's got to be a whole lot of depth and surely there's a lot that we haven't actually I think heard so. yet and also I think we're going to see some I mean it's funny to start thinking about price cuts right now we've just heard the product announced mm. but uh, you know the time frame they're talking about is uh, you know the holiday season for, for yeah, both exactly. products I think uh, Microsoft have zoomed in and said well it's, it's going to be November uh, Sony no doubt well, you know it's not going to be too far different no. from a timing perspective uh, but if we think about uh, you know buying games and consoles and any electronics really in New Zealand Boxing Day sales you usually see the prices slashed across oh, a pretty broad range of products. Exactly. Uh, maybe that'll be too soon, but y- you have to kind of think that uh, by Boxing Day there'll be some sort of special deal on uh, on on both consoles. And I think too, you know, with the console, you can't just buy the console on its own. You know, so you're going to have to buy games for it as well. So you probably, you know, if you're looking at the usual model of say a hundred dollars for a game. You know, so you're looking. You're looking close to a thousand dollars if you sort of buy the Xbox One and two or three games, so and, a, and an Xbox Gold subscription and a subscription you know. and those sort of things. So I think I mean there's plenty of time still between now and November. You know they could quite easily come and say, well, you know, perhaps 
Um, maybe not change the, uh, change the price early, but, you know, like Nintendo did with the 3DS, wasn't selling as well as I expected, you know. So three months after launch, they thought, well, we'll knock $50 off the price or $100 off the price. So I think the price will be something that will be dictated by its popularity. You know, if it'll be like anything. If things aren't moving off the shelves, you know, they're going to drop the price to it. And um, Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I think, it, you know, it's... It's a pretty pivotal time in the gaming world, these you know these releases. And if we were to look down the months, uh, you know, look down the track, say you know, a year after release, I can't imagine that either Sony or Microsoft, if their product wasn't selling, would let them get a year down the track where they, you know one or the other ended up with half the market share. You know, of yeah. the opponent, they would cut the price of to uh, to ensure the sales line up, even if they're you know, even if they end up selling at a at a reasonable sort of loss, right? Well, I think it is. I mean, for, for these sorts of things, you know, market share is all important. You know, and and the market share that you have is going to that's going to be make or break for the console. And I think you're right that I think um, it might be hard to take, but I think you know, Microsoft or Sony, if they see that sales aren't going the way they want, then they'll probably bite the bullet and say. Let's drop the price because you know. Let's face it, consumers. If something's cheaper, they'll buy it. So you know, if you slash fifty dollars, which might not seem a lot, but you know, that is a difference between you know six fifty and six hundred. Say so, it's it'll make things sweeter for people. So you'd be interested to see down a year year down the track where they all sit and whether we're still sitting at you know seven forty nine and six forty nine. I don't think we will be, but no and. And you've got to imagine Microsoft actually, because they're targeting these at more than gamers at a broader audience. Yes. In theory, they should actually be selling a lot more devices because they're not just selling a they're not just selling a gaming console. But I'm not sure. I mean, we look at the current generation, even you know, the Xbox 360. They put a lot of focus around, uh, as have as have Sony too, to a, to a fairly you know strong degree, a focus around some of the apps and you know yes, video streaming yeah. and and so on. But there's not a huge difference in in market share uh, from what we can tell in the in the New Zealand marketplace. No, anyway. no, I think because the unfortunate thing for the New Zealand market is is that. Um, you know, we don't we don't have the things like Netflix and Hulu and those sorts of movie streaming services. But I mean, both well, well, we do if you jump through a few hoops. Well, and, that's uh, right. The NZ Tech Podcast site has, <laughs> has some insights on on how to do that for for those that want to uh, jump on board. But yeah, I mean, but, ge- know, generally speaking, for the general public, uh, you know, we don't have a broad range of those no. extra services. We've got QuickFlix, uh, which is on uh, on Xbox. I don't think that's on uh, on PlayStation uh, just yet. Don't think so. No. Uh, and the, but and that's you know that's very limited catalogue and and it's not HD and so on so it's, it's really not up there with Netflix and, just yeah, yet. And man, and both of them have um, movie streaming services, so they're there. But um, you know it, you know it, it'd just be interesting to see how long it takes for those features to trickle down for us. You know, and um, the TV type integration yeah, the TV type features, yeah, because they're, they're talking some pretty smart stuff there, aren't yeah, they? It's not they just are. you know change channel and so on. You know, it's being able to sort of split your screen up between watching stuff and have you know social media feeds or playing a game and being able to Skype at the same time. Um, you know, there's quite a you know a broad bit of uh, of of integration. And but oh, yeah, it's it's that TV piece that's that's really an unknown for the New Zealand oh, New Zealand is. market, and we've been left behind by Microsoft in the past here in New Zealand. So you know, it's a bit of a gamble if you're ordering up front, sort of thinking you're going to get exactly the same functionality as yeah. US, because we just don't know. No, well, because I mean, Microsoft have said that um, you know in press releases that a lot of those features won't be available for us at launch. But they will come eventually. I mean, it, it'll probably be like the, um, you know, the voice recognition on Connect that we got it eventually, but it took, you know, a wee bit of time to get here because you know they had to work out apparently, you know, accent differences and those sorts of things. So I think um, is that we, is that smart move on Microsoft's part? I mean, shouldn't they have a, you know, can't they afford to have enough teams to be able to be working on these for sort of parallel markets at the at the same time? Isn't this going to burn them to a uh, to a fair degree? Yeah, I mean, I I would have thought, um, especially with like the voice and connect, that it would have come here a lot quicker. Um, But I think in terms of the TV content, I don't know whether it's a you know a local uh, network issue or whether you know they've got to try and broker deals with 
providers like Sky or to get content, that sort of thing. So maybe there's a whole lot of loopholes and, and things that we don't know, but because um, I know with in the US they've got a big deal with the NFL over there, you know, to do some sort of um, live sort of NFL sort of integrated uh, system. So that's something that wouldn't work for us. Um, but yeah, it's but that's got to come in the future, though, doesn't it? I mean, in New Zealand, we've got Sky TV with such a stronghold across so many, yes. uh, you know, uh, TV program franchises in particular, uh, and, and 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 sport. But yeah, you know, when you look to markets like the US, for instance, you know, you're talking about NFL, and um, you know, th- there are a whole range of yes, different, uh, you know, sports franchises there that seem to be breaking out of the traditional. Uh, you know, TV type arrangements where you can only get it with a subscription to, yep. uh, you know, a cable provide a cable TV provider, etc. There are always other ways to get that same sort of content. Whereas, yeah, in New Zealand at the moment, we just don't have those sort of offerings. No, but don't. you've got to think that's got to come in the future because. Yeah, if nothing else, you know, eventually the government will, you know, clamp down. If Sky have got exclusive agreements that doesn't allow you to get content another way, uh, you know, that's monopoly type stuff, and they'll eventually sort of say, look, you've got to open it up to uh, to other streams. And yeah, yeah, most New Zealand homes have a you know have an interest in uh, in accessing sports content. Exactly, and, and I, there must be there must be a second way to get it. And I think too, with the you know this UFB rollout that we're having taking place now too, so I mean this is the perfect opportunity for us to be taking, you know, really absorbing that streaming content and those sorts of features. So I think um, the big question is is you know what time frame for it to get here? Right. Um, so even if we don't get the features. <laughs> Immediately, with ultra-fast broadband becoming you know so mainstream, yeah. it's going to be you know with seventy-five percent of the population you know over the next you know whatever it is six seven years, uh, which I guess and a, and a large chunk of that will happen probably within the next you know the next uh, you know two years. There'll be a, yeah, a pretty so. good chunk of the population that, that, that will already have access. Uh, so. Yeah, maybe that makes it a little a little bit easier in some way that the infrastructure is well, there to support I, I think uh, to support these capabilities. It's more of an incentive, isn't it, for those providers to actually say, "Okay, that infrastructure is now there. Let's get this good streaming TV content to Xbox ones everywhere." And so, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's fingers crossed that that um, that's the thinking that you know, faster broadband, UFB. And the demand for that content is there too. So let's let's roll it out sooner rather than later. So yeah, be watching that one very closely. All right, now let's change tack. Um, looking looking now at the, at the gaming side of things, Microsoft seemed to be taking a, a, a huge hit in the media and you know with uh, you know in the forums and so on online in regards to their DRM or their digital yes. rights management, which is is going to you know lock down their games so that you can't. Take your games disc and uh, yeah, drop it on Trade Me. Sell it to a friend after you've you know, or, or yeah, certainly sell it on Trade Me after you've finished with it. There are going to be some pretty Big strict uh, you yeah. know restrictions around what you can do with your media. How much is this going to help Sony? Because Sony came out yeah. yesterday, and I think you saw the video too. Yes, uh, it, it's pretty funny, uh, and we'll, we'll put a link up for it as well uh, of of how you share a game. Uh, or yeah, with with a friend on the uh, on the on the PS4. Essentially, just hand it to the other. Guy uh, you just hand it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, look, there are no restrictions. Is I mean, is what Microsoft are doing? Is this just a reality of you know the move to digital content and the fact that that disc's going to disappear? Or do you think this is going to be uh, something that's actually going to really make a big difference in terms of uh, of of sales of the uh, of the PS4? Well, I think you know I think personally it probably will hurt them a wee bit because um, when they announced you know that they were doing this form of DRM, that was that got that was one thing that got a lot of gamers up in arms about it, you know because. You know, we've we've all done it. We've all you know had a game, lent it to your brother, lent it to your father, lent it to your friend. Here you go, hand it over. They've had it for two months, three months, three years, um, with no restrictions. But I think um, so. What Sony have done, you know, with with no no limit, you know, on on sharing, no DRM like that, is that they've really almost thumbed their nose at Microsoft. I think a wee bit by saying, you know, that we're thinking of the gamers here. You can. Um, you know, they've got these games, they should be able to do what they want with them. 
Um, so I think that from, you know, just my Twitter feed, you know, a lot of gamers who are hardcore Xbox fans are now saying that's something that might make them make the shift to PlayStation 4 because there's no restrictions on what they can do with the games that they buy. And I think that, um, you know, maybe down the track Microsoft might relook at this policy because the backlash might be so big uh, that they might think, yeah, it's not actually worth us having such a restriction. Because I think, what well, you know... Always a gamble, isn't it? Making, you know, doing something that, that's so at odds with what people are used to. Well, it is, you know, and it's... Um, but and it's got to put some money in their back pocket if it works, right? If there's less yeah. sort of that sharing of game, games, then, I mean, I'm thinking it could lead to a couple of things. One, it could lead to each console just being more profitable, so they yes. could afford to drop the price anyway, even if it costs them a little bit more to... to you know, ship with the, the connect with it and so on, uh, because they're making more off, you know, on average off each game. Yep. Uh, or maybe it could lead to a potential um, for them to drop the price of their games, or maybe they'll just put the money in their back pocket if there isn't a back backlash. Yeah, because the difficulty thing with the games is that because you've got um, lots of third party, you know, third party publishers as well, so. Um and they can set their own, they can set their own price and they can set restrictions, restrictions as well, right? So Whether you'll be able to, uh, you know, resell uh, your your games through yeah, a game so that retailer. Sort of, that sort of opens that whole sort of it's new optional. kettle of fish because, you know, one publisher might say, well, we want these restrictions. Another one might say, no, we want no restrictions. So it's sort of unsettling things a wee bit. But, um, yeah, I guess that it's Microsoft felt that it was – whether they got pressure from um, big publishers because, of course – you know, trading use trading games or selling games to stores. You know, publishers are losing out money. They don't get any money off, any of, money off of a resale, do they? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. perhaps they were pressured a wee bit by a publisher saying, you know, we're losing money by people trading in games. So you know, you know, what sort of thing can we do here? So I mean, maybe there was a bit of pressure. Maybe they thought that um, it was the right thing to do. But you yeah, certainly the you know. Um, gamers themselves, you know, thinking that it's not something that they're happy with. And, and as we know, you know, consumers talk with their wallets. Absolutely. So if we if we sort of look ahead a few years, there aren't actually going to be, uh, you know, discs. There aren't going to be Blu-rays, you know, eventually because, mm. you know, I, I, I imagine they're going to say, at some point in time, they're going to say, look, the majority of people have a fast enough internet connection that it's just not worth actually putting... A physical uh, yeah, media, physical yeah. media slot into, into the device, and it might be there's a variation on the Xbox One in five years. It just doesn't have the slot, uh, and and on and on the PS4 too. Look, we've got a lower cost version. Doesn't have that. You know, doesn't have that option. Uh, or maybe it's the next generation. But yeah, I mean, yeah. we know that time is is, is well, likely is. to come. It's, you know, it's very near. I mean, and the, you know, we're seeing that with you know, if you look at the PC game, you look at that with Steam. I mean, Steam's an online digital platform and what can you do with sharing games on steam yeah right you bought you buy your game it's it's you know you're, you're, you're paying for your for your game so maybe this will be a moot point you know it could be in, i mean in a in a in less time than we think and i think that um i think this is this you know where playstation and xbox are heading you know um they're heading for the digital the digital realm you know that um you know they've both got solid online platforms you know you've got xbox live arcade for the xbox and you've got playstation network for sony so and you know you can buy um your digital games and as you said you know with more data caps faster broadband you know ultra fast broadband it's going to be actually far easier to one click start your game download done and you know so i think i mean i think in five years time physical media will be you know, there won't be a lot of it around for games. You know? And if you've got an ultra fast broadband connection, which yeah, some of us have already, for for others it's not too far off. You've got to think. Well, what would be the easiest way to get content? I mean, for me, I, th- I think about when was the last time I went and rented a DVD or a Blu-ray? Exactly. Do, you know, do I do that now? Well, I mean, the only time I do it is if I've you know I'm, I'm reviewing something like a 3D projector. Uh, you know, I'll go and get a 3D Blu-ray to sort of you know have a look and, yeah. and try it out. Uh, maybe, maybe once a year. Uh, but in terms of general content consumption, I'm not using physical media no. for it. It all just I streams mean, cause, down because you know movies have made that transition. They've gone from you know VHS to DVD now to Apple TV online streaming, 
and so it's it's only natural that consoles are going to go the same way, you know that. Um, and so I think that you know we're seeing less and less DVD stores around, and you're going to start seeing less and less physical retail specific gaming stores. Well, I guess for, you know from a New Zealand uh, perspective at the moment, you can you know, rent rent games from you know, your local. Uh, DVD store. Yeah. Uh, Fatso also, of course, launched their uh, service store, yeah. you know, a few months ago, and you can rent them you know, by the day. So that's something that'll that they won't be able to do in this no, new world on, on the, the, on the Xbox so. One side of things. So yeah, over time you can imagine that'll drop off. But yeah, re- realistically, that type of you know rental of physical media, something that yeah you couldn't imagine is going to go on forever. No. Uh, anyway, you know my my pick for them. You know, would be they either need to get into being a Netflix type service, or get out of the business. Of you know, eventually we look down the track, yeah, a, a, a few more years, uh, there won't be an opportunity for them to exist as as they do today. Yeah, anyway. well, I think there's still there'll still be a lot of people who will stick onto their, you know, hold on to their PlayStation threes and their Xbox three sixty. So, you know, Fatso's back catalogue of all those games will still be there. But I think you're right. You know, they'll get to the point that. Um, Rentals for 360 and PS3 games will less and less. Even will be moving to digital forms, and so yeah, I think the writing's on the wall for those services in the next five to six years. I think mm. easily. And I mean, uh, Microsoft, you got to hand it to them. They have, um, you know, they have come out with with some nice options around sharing games and around being able to you know, move to a different uh, console, be at a be at a mate's place, and uh, you know, you log in there so and you can access, yeah. you know, all of your games, and not just you, but up to uh, ten family members yes. as well. So some of those things are the, how those things break down. I think we really have to wait and, wait and see until we Very actually get so. hands on and and get to review and play with these things to see. You know what are the restrictions? You know you've got a family member uh, that's not actually in your household. What will be the restriction? You know, can can you share games with with family members? Maybe in other cities and so yeah, on. You know, uh, you know, officially that probably won't be supported. But no. will there be a you know a reasonably easy way to sort of uh, well, you, know, you know do that with who, your closest who knows, friends? Maybe they might so say further. In fact, you know, you can have those ten family members could include, um, you know, people who are. As you said, it might be a brother who's lives in another city, but you can uh, authorize his gamer tag on your account or whatever, so that he can use it. So yeah, there's I think there's a lot of questions still on that aspect, and that'll surely come out in the next few months. I think they'll really mm. elaborate on that and sort of give a bit more detail. But um, it does sound know. quite it sounds quite cool. And the and the uh, one aspect of that being that they can actually play it concurrently with you playing it as well. Yes, uh, so you can have actually a uh, you know. Uh, yeah, that uh, that concurrent play. So yeah, definitely a few things to shake out. Now, in terms of online, we we heard uh, a couple of you know a day or so back that uh, Xbox One, had, you know, was sort of top of the the sales charts in terms of pre orders on on Amazon. And we just had a look before, and that had uh, that had pivoted to um, the yeah, PlayStation Four uh, being at the top of the list. So it's it's really anyone's guess. I think it's too early oh, to know you I know but what what sales are going to uh, what sales are going I mean, to look like. I mean, looking on Twitter yesterday, you know, you've had people who. Um Watch the Xbox announce, and they said, "Yeah, I'm going to pre-order a Xbox One," and they did. And then they watched the PlayStation Three, four, PlayStation Four One, and said, "Oh, I'm going to pre-order one of those too." So I think, you know, you're going to get people toing and froing, and they're going to pre-order. And I think that figure will bounce around, you know, over the next couple of months. I think, and then, uh, but as we said earlier, I mean, the, it'll be interesting to see in a year's time how they're looking in terms of market share. Mm. You know, who's um, who's king of the hill then, and that'll be the telling point. You know. Absolutely, and what they have to do to actually get that get that market share. The I guess the, the you know the good thing here is is that we've we've just we've got a really competitive environment. We've got two really strong players uh, that yeah, have delivered great consoles in the past. Uh, the specifications on these new consoles are, are off the hook. I mean, we're talking you know eight eight gigs of RAM and uh, you know massive processing and, and graphics power. Uh, it seems like PlayStation maybe maybe is is uh, you know ahead in in a couple of areas. It's got uh, you know faster memory and uh, I think the graphics look a little bit uh, a little bit better, yeah. uh, you know better. But you know we saw a difference there as well in the previous generation and uh, you know Sony definitely had the had the lead from a, a you know a technical perspective. Uh, 
but it didn't seem to have that much influence from you know as far as uh, you know a lot of gamers were concerned. It no. didn't actually well, I mean, you know influence as heavily as you might have expected. And it seems like this time around the uh, the consoles are you know much more similar from a technical oh, perspective. Right? And of course, it too. I mean, it's it's how clever the developers too in terms of the games and what they can sort of eke out of. Each console. So I think in terms of visual fidelity, I mean, both are going to look pretty similar. I mean, I think they're both going to look um, pretty good, and they're going to look, you know, impressive visuals. And um, you know, and, and as with all generations, they'll just get better and better as developers get to grips with the system. So I mean, it's yeah. So it's not it's not just about the hardware, is it? No, no. It's and about yeah, I guess if we look at the first games that 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 came out uh, for the for the three hundred and sixty and and the PS three. Uh, you know they were nowhere near as good as the oh, no. you know as as the ones that sort of you know came sort of a few years down. Well, I mean you down the track, you even had to look at the PlayStation Two estate that you know coming near the end of its generation. You know you were getting the best looking games that, that the system could have because you know the developers had finally got to grips with what they could do. Mm, mm. And you'll see the same thing here. You know um, it'd be interesting to see whether how long these generations last for this next gen lasts for whether it's six, seven, eight, ten years. That'll be the next big question. Yeah, well, I mean, there's just so much power there. I mean, these things have got, uh, you know, the, um, you know, your HDMI connection, the Xbox One having that input, so you, you know, you can ultimately plug in a Skybox or, yes. or whatever. But um, uh, eight core CPU. I mean, that's more powerful than anyone today has in their in their home, you know, PC. Gen- generally speaking, that is that is really some uh, some stuff, some power. It? You know, half a terabyte uh, hard drive. Uh, you know, and the eight eight uh, eight gigabytes of, of of RAM that we we talked about earlier. So you know, both of them doing that. And interesting that um, AMD is making the chips for both systems. Yes. And you know, Intel seems to have really had uh, you know had the Upper hand in the uh, in the PC space in recent years, and they've you know just outsold uh, AMD by uh, you know by many many times. But uh, you know it seems like uh, AMD has uh, has been you know selected by both. Either either it's because they can make a more powerful system, mm. uh, but I'm picking it. You know probably at the end of the day it comes down to what sort of pricing they can negotiate oh, over so the yep. over the term. Uh, I mean, we know it seems that uh, AMD sit a little bit below Intel in terms of actual, uh, you know, gruntiness uh, with, with with their chips. Uh, but, you know, an eight-core system, that's, uh, that's, 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 that's more than enough for, uh, uh, for, yeah, certainly any games that are on the market today on the PC oh, exactly. side. So, yeah. Do you expect that we're going to see with with this generation, uh, you know, games that will will outshine, uh, you know, PC games for 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 any length of time? Because this, you know, I mean, this does put the console actually, uh, you know, above a, you know, even a you know a, a two thousand dollar PC when you when you Gee, think about it that, in many that's, regards. It's right? going to be open a big war, isn't it? Whether yeah. it's going to be, uh, I think, in terms of, um, you know, you have PC gamers who say, well, you know, my top end PC will blow the consoles out of water and they probably will but I think it's but maybe not for another you know not, not for, a, for a while yeah you know I think and it's pretty amazing that you know you've you've got these two consoles now who have specs that are on par with a good yeah they're right up they're right PC up there gaming, aren't they they're you know, right PC the gaming top, yeah, so I think yeah. that um, you know console gamers are going to see that real strong visual fidelity that uh, you know top end PC gamers have had and yep. um, which you know will bring more realistic looking characters more immersion you know some of the um footage that we saw of some of the titles coming through were just you know just phenomenal looking yeah know? and the the sort of level they're just able to go to that next level with with the yeah. details uh, and yeah. the you know the reflections on things and and, and so on it's uh, you know it's just that much better and you know we, we've really enjoyed this you know current generation that that that's as you say has sort of improved along the way but uh you know what we're seeing now with these new trailers that, that just sort of scratches the surface oh, so goodness. looking at the games i mean there's a whole bunch of games many of which are, are just sort of new generations of of games that we've seen uh in the past we heard there's you know halo there's going to be a new uh a new one there. I think that's sort of probably still a year or so away. That's it's next yeah, year sometime, I'm right? Definitely, yes. Uh, but you know, I think that's that's obviously important for uh, for Microsoft with with um, you know getting getting that uh, out on the Xbox. And it, it, 
it's you know to a degree one of the one of the important things on e- on each side is having those uh, those unique games that uh, that they um, you know they have locked down. Well, because I mean each each French each console have got their own. I guess uh, marquee games, haven't they? Mm. You know, you've got um, the Halo series on on the Xbox, and you know you've got God of War and all those sorts of you know identifiable PlayStation titles. So I mean, each one has to have you know everyone knew that they were going to have a continuation. You know, we're going to come through. So there's no surprise that there was a new Halo for the Xbox One. I mean, it's a phenomenal selling series. You know, and um, but I think that the interesting thing is some of these new IPs which are coming through, and I think yeah, we were chatting before about uh, Watchdogs, right? Oh, amazing! What's your take on that? Is that sort of is that one of the really big standouts? Is that, yeah, do you it think is. that's sort of going to be a be one that sort of outsells, uh, you know, the the Halos and so on? I I hope it does because you know, not taking anything away from the Halos, but the Halos are a fairly formulaic standard, you know, first person shooter. You mm. know. Um, but when Watch Dogs was first, um, I think they first announced it at E3 last year. Um, and it just blew everybody away. It came out of the blue. Nobody knew about it. You know, here was this. Um, I like to think that it's sort of, um, you know, there's a TV show called Person of Interest, which has the supercomputer, which some guy came up with, that can determine whether when a crime's going to happen before it happens, you know. Yeah. And, and that's what Watch Dogs is like. You know, it's set in this, in you know, Chicago, where which is pretty much connected camera wise and this guy um, the main guy can actually see, uh, access any amount of information about anybody he wants to on a smartphone control, can, control you know, the security control systems look control at the cameras system, you know, traffic lights everything yeah. so I think um, and of course it's quite timely with the you know the prism and the NSA I know there's, 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 there's so yeah, many the things moment. going on with with uh, NSA and CIA and uh, yeah, obviously at, at home here in New Zealand oh, with GCSP. GCSP. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, and uh, now Kim dot com must be having a good laugh around <laughs> uh, around around some of these things. But uh, yeah, I mean, being a gamer himself too, I'm sure, I'm sure this will be one yeah. that uh, will be of interest. I mean, I think I mean Watch Dogs at the moment almost is almost like it's art imitating life, isn't it? You know that it's actually. They brought up this premise, and suddenly here it is. It's it's all happening, but it just looks, um, from what we've seen, it looks to be an amazing title. Is actually um, sort of shows a bit of innovation, you know, that you can control the world around you, you know, more than we've seen before. So that's certainly one of the standouts for me. I think that this year, and I think um, yeah, it's nice to see new IPs that aren't, you know, it's consoles and PCs will always have the familiar because that's what you've got to have you know you'll always have your call of duties and your halos and whatever but i think gamers actually really want to have something fresh they want to have something new something's going to try something different so i think that uh, this will do extremely well good good and uh we've got uh there's fours of five um new mirror's edge um yeah Yeah, standard sort of things like donkey kong um you've got new you've got you know next assassin's creed yeah, yeah. It's well, sort of a long-running yearly sort of update, but uh, yeah. Well, and but it, but it's important that these things keep coming through too, right? Because there's such a there's such a fan base. Yeah, there is. A, but I guess the trouble with things like Assassin's Creed is that if they keep having yearly updates, fans are going to think, oh. you know, you can only tweak things so much each year. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if they're if they're major sort of refreshes that bring a lot of new stuff in, yes, exactly. into the game, yep. then uh, then that makes it really worth spending spending your money. Otherwise, it can be a bit of a a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Final Fantasy Fifteen. Yes, a lot of fans will be happy about that one. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, look, there there is so much around all these new games. I think you know the best thing for people that are keen is probably to look at uh, look at the videos, and there's a whole bunch of that stuff online. We'll put up some uh, some links or some you know YouTube to some of them at nztechpodcast.com. So anyone that wants to have a little bit of a look, uh, no doubt once these things actually start hitting the ground, uh, you'll be doing plenty of reviews as, oh, as sure. well, there, Jared. For sure, yeah. I mean, it's um, always an exciting time, you know. It's uh, a few late hours, but one thing that one thing we didn't mention was the uh, plants versus zombies. 
Garden Warfare. Yeah, we were looking at the uh, the trailer for that. Yeah. I mean, that was just sort of a, a very uh, you know simple sort of game that you know worked exactly the same whether you're running it on your iPhone or on yes. or on your console. Uh, but Some actually, that you know they've they've turned this into a real uh, a really cool looking console game, right? I mean, it just looks really, looks really stylish. Yeah. You know, your whole three three D sense of humour coming through. So I think it's one of those ones that looks as though it's really translated well to that uh, to the console. So that's you know that could be a surprise hit too. That could yeah. be the one that will. Uh, it seemed to have got a, a huge response when it appeared at uh, one of the press conferences yesterday. But yeah, yeah. No, it looks looks really cool. Um, so yeah, and and a lot more stuff sort of is going to come out. I mean, there's there's still a little bit of time left for people to get more hands on it uh, at at E3. Uh, and next week we're uh, we'll be chatting to uh, we've got uh, Siobhan from uh, from PC World uh, coming on the podcast. Uh, she she's up there at E3 now, uh, so we didn't manage to squeeze any time in with her uh, today by the looks of it. Although that that could change before the day's uh, out and we and we put the podcast online. But uh, it seems like we'll probably catch up with her. Uh, next week, and and just hear a little bit about what it was like to uh, to be there, and some of the things that she's had a chance to uh, to to have a bit of a, a play with, and a, a bit of a bit of a closer look at. Yeah, yeah, she'll have plenty of tales, I'm sure. Yes, indeed. So it is always it's always fun to uh, to get to uh, get to these things. Well, that sort of I guess really wraps up uh, our, our chit chat today about uh, about E3. Anything else that sort of uh, really stood out for you? Of course, Nintendo have you know their announcements and so on. Uh, probably not. Uh, so much the hardcore game fans are, no, are, are, are you know so interested in that. I mean, the the Wii U hasn't really hit the spot in the market as, no. as uh, much as what Nintendo would have uh, hoped. Is this uh, is this you know going to uh, lead to their demise? Do you think? I don't think it'll lead to their demise, but I think that the Wii U came out at the wrong time. You know, they brought out their HD console last year, and you know, a year before Microsoft and Sony releasing their next generation console so I think the timing was just wrong um, and by the sounds of things the Nintendo press conference today was a solid lineup, but it was you know fairly standard stuff you know your Donkey Kongs and your Marios and so they're targeting the younger audiences yeah, they traditionally yeah. have done right the so sort of, they're the going to keep selling in that in yeah. that area the more family friendly you know that's and that's Nintendo that's what they like to do and they'll um, but it'll certainly be interesting to see how their fortunes go sort of you know because they haven't got they didn't do a press conference this year as they normally do, you know. So it's um, things, things are changing a wee bit. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean the family friendly side. That, that's certainly you know their focus. And I think uh, in New Zealand you've got you know officially you've got to be eighteen to have an Xbox Live Gold yes, uh, subscription, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, is it the same on the, uh, the PlayStation uh, side with the PlayStation Network? Oh, I couldn't tell you restrictions, but uh, yeah. So I mean those things do make a difference, but it's still yes, it does, yeah. uh, you know it's still in some ways a uh, you know. A bit of a niche, although you know that said, uh, you know the Wii, you know as a console, oh, I mean just sold absolute you know bucket loads. Oh, it did. Uh, so yep, I think know, I, I, think, I don't think you can write them off. Uh, no, I <laughs> think easily I mean can. Nintendo are one of those um, long-time stalwarts, and they'll still be there, but they'll just evolve, and you know they'll, um, you know, 3DS is doing amazingly well. Um, they'll just continue doing what they do. They'll do it in their own way, and mm. you know. Their fans will be there, and uh, but yeah, I think that you know it's not one for the hardcore gamers really anymore. Good. Well, uh, yep, that's 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 us on on E three. Now, uh, where do we where do we find you online? You're on uh, on Twitter, of course, at uh, at Game Junkie NZ. That's the Twitter handle, and uh, I've got the Game Junkie blog, which is on stuff.co.nz, so you can just find that under the tech section. In the blog, there's only two two tech blogs there, so uh, my smiling face will be there. So uh, have a read. Very nice. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jared, for joining us here on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Loved it. Finally, been good to be here, Paul. So right now, it's time to talk about the technology that really is behind the future of the next generation of computing devices: tablets, uh, convertibles, ultrabooks, and that really comes down to this new technology. Being launched by Intel. Uh, Intel have brought me across to uh, Sydney today uh, for this event, so thanks to Intel. But let's jump in and uh, and discuss that. So right now I'm here with Kate Burley, who's the Managing Director of Intel Australia New Zealand. Welcome along, great to chat with you. Yeah, great to be here too, thanks very much. 
Now, uh, here today in Sydney, you've been uh, doing the Australian-New Zealand launch of the fourth-generation uh, core processor. What are the highlights that are really standing out that people seem to be getting excited about? Yeah, well, I think, um, Paul, obviously whenever Intel launches a new processor, people always expect it to be faster, and I can guarantee that fourth generation um, won't disappoint on that fact. Um, but the other thing that we're really focused on in this new architecture is just the scalability, the ability for this architecture to fit in different form factors. So think of it scaling in a tablet-type form factor right up through notebook to a high-performance desktop. And when you do that, you don't just look at performance, but you also have to look at some other characteristics, like how long will my battery life be? Um, and what's my um, thermal? And when we talk about thermal, you talk about, um, you know what, I don't want the processor to be so fast that it runs so hot that it can't fit in new, thin and exciting form factors. And what the fourth generation does really well is it delivers more and more processing power, but still with great thermals, which is very exciting because it means consumers can now get more exciting form factors, thinner and lighter, but still with no sacrifice on performance. Yeah, that was certainly one of the comments on the keynote was, uh, you know, now you're able to, uh, you know, deliver or your partners will be able to deliver systems that, you know, don't need to have a a fan uh, to cool them, which I guess has been a little bit of a frustration with people that want, you know, say something really powerful, but they don't, uh, they don't want it to generate too much heat. Uh, You know, they want to have that long, long battery life and so on. Are we likely to see many systems that that can sort of fit into that uh, space that won't need any sort of uh, cooling or is that going to be? sort of a, a, a really unique um, you know, unit that will do that? No, I mean, definitely in the Ultrabook range, most Ultrabooks now don't have fans. You know, they're down to just like naturally cooling because they're taking advantage of the fourth generation architecture, which is great. And the other feature that we've built into the architecture is absolutely stunning graphics. Um, it's called Iris Graphics. It's part of the processing package. So what that means for manufacturers, and pick your favourite favorite brand name, sort of PC manufacturer, um, it means that they don't have to add in an extra graphics card. That saves on cost, but it also means that you get more graphics performance without it being thicker because you've got to make room for something and also it doesn't dissipate on battery life as much as well. So again, back to that battery life, we all want to be mobile. We all want thin and light notebooks and tablets to carry around um, and we want great graphics and CPU performance. So these are just some of the innovations that we're doing around the platform. Yeah, it was interesting to see the uh, the demonstration of you know we've we've got some of these um, uh, big uh, 4K or Ultra HD uh, TV screens here from LG, and uh, seeing those actually driven uh, by an Ultrabook at that 4K resolution, um, that's pretty impressive for something that just comes out of uh, the, the built-in uh, processor. Do you think that we're going to start seeing uh, laptops with that sort of resolution um, screen now? Now that you've sort of paved the way for it uh, with the built-in graphics capabilities. Yeah, um, look... In the future, I think so, um, but obviously 4K comes at a big cost too. So um, I think in the early days, putting a 4K resolution screen on a laptop is going to be a little bit prohibitive price-wise. Um, so it's probably not the most realistic usage model. But the important thing around the 4K support is it actually means that if you're a big fan of the usage model where you download a high-definition high, high definition movie and you want to use your laptop to then um, connect it to your high-definition display, you can now do that. Um, Whereas before, if you downloaded it onto your laptop, even if you downloaded a high-definition movie, it wouldn't play back on your display appropriately. So if you've invested in the display, definitely worthwhile, but um, 4K on the actual laptop, it might just push prices up a little bit high for the time being. But, you know, it will happen in the future. It's probably a little bit bleeding edge for now. Um, now we've seen, um, you know, the ARM processor sort of go from, uh, you know, a, a product that wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't very widespread to now we see it across, you know, so many phones and, and tablets and uh, Windows RT uh, based devices of which, you know, there's there's one or two as well. Um, where where really is is Intel, you know? heading with uh, with the new core processors and then the new Atom uh, processors. Will that, will that see you be able to compete directly with them in, in every field where they're successful today? 
Yeah, I think in that sort of hyper-competitive space, we are actually already competing with them really well. Um, but there's obviously even more opportunity for Intel. Um, I guess our general philosophy is we don't want to sacrifice too much on performance because we actually believe that consumers want com- performance. We're not just about consuming, but we also want to create. And if you want to create, that's when you start migrating off some of those lower-performance tablets back onto your laptop or your desktop. Um, the perfect scenario is you don't have to migrate, right? And you can just do everything thing you want on your chosen form factor and that's why today when we're talking about the fourth gen processor we focus so much on the scalability its ability to flex or shape shift right down into thin and light and hyper mobile form factors such as tablets and then scale right up to the highest performance desktop um, that you'd, you'd ever imagine wanting to use so you know that's our strategy um, we design and manufacture all of our own processes so we can really think big um, and that's what we're doing now and you know with time within time you'll see more more and more of those very small, thin light des- designs hitting the shelves with fourth gen. Right, and and if we look at uh, what you can do, and obviously you haven't made announcements today around the, the new uh, Intel uh, processes that are coming through, um, but uh, the Atom uh, chips that are coming through, um, but we see those starting to go into the tablets and, and into the smartphones competing with the, um, uh, you know, uh, what were traditionally ARM-based devices. Um, how far off are we sort of technically from being able to, um, you know, have a smartphone that entirely replaces a PC? You know, you'll be able to use, say, NFC, tap your smartphone to your monitor, then it uses a wireless display, maybe hooks into a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse uh, so that you don't necessarily have to have the, uh, you know, the full form factor, uh, but, you know, be mobile and, and, you know, able to be, you know, pretty capable, maybe running you know, a full version of Windows, for instance. What are your thoughts on, on where that might, uh, when we might see that type of technology? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that um, for your techie listeners, probably they're sitting there going, I'm kind of doing that already, (laughs) but it's not ready for prime time. Um, You know, with the Atom processes, yes, heaps of innovation in that space. Um, Our own research kind of tends to tell us that people do like fit-for-purpose devices as well. So people want their phone to be a phone, but it's kind of nice if they can do a few other things with it as well, and that's what we're seeing with smartphones. Um, Our general feeling is once you want to do some of those other usage models that you're talking about, you still want your phone to be able to ring while you're watching your high definition favorite movie or something like that so you probably buy more fit for purpose device so technically it's potentially doable in the future whether the market's there for your phone being absorbed with those sort of activities is a little bit debatable I, I think that most of us like the idea of I've got my phone whenever I need it and you know in fact it's hard to ever put it down um, but I also want other devices to do other things that I need it to do so I would say some of those examples would be more dedicated fit, fit for purpose devices okay well that's great well thank you very much for your time my pleasure thanks for having me so following the launch from Intel, I got a chance to see some of the newest uh, computer technology in terms of laptops, ultrabooks, uh, tablets, and convertible devices uh, that are launching into the market. Now, a lot of these were shown off uh, last week at Computex in, uh, in Taipei, uh, but this is the first chance for them being, uh, being seen in Australia and New Zealand. And I've picked out two of the companies that, uh, that, that had real uh, standout products today, and those are the ones that I've focused on. So first up, we're going to talk with the guys from Sony. So I'm with Jun Yoon uh, here from uh, from Sony Australia. We're, we're, we're looking at Sony's newest uh, devices, and the reason I picked Sony to talk to uh, today at the uh, at the launch of Intel's um, fourth gen core processors is that uh, these new products from from Sony are the ones that sort of stood out uh, the most to me. So we're going to look at um, two new Ultrabooks, the Vio Pro 11, the Vio Pro uh, 13, uh, and then we're going to look at um, the next generation of uh, Sony's sort of hybrid uh, tablet uh, laptop device, which is the Vio Duo. So um, f- first up, uh, Jun, um, the Vio Pro 11 and 13, uh, just run us through, what are, what are the sort of, the, I guess, the, the two sort of top uh, standouts here? All right. So the big highlight for the Pro Series, uh, they, they are the world's lightest touch Ultrabooks, okay? So the Pro 11 is only 870 grams, and the Pro 13 is just over one kilo at 1.06, so the world's lightest Ultrabooks. 
So I, I'm trying to put that in context for people. Um, they probably I'm not sure what else we can compare that to, but I guess um, you know probably one of one of the smallest sort of um, you know touch devices that runs full blown uh, Windows that we've seen recently uh, is Microsoft's uh, Surface Pro, which is just a tablet without you know keyboard and so on. Uh, and I think that actually weighs more than uh, and it's got a smaller screen than the uh, the Vira Pro 11 here. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know the exact uh, specs of the of the Surface, um, but 100% we are the lightest when it comes to touch ultrabooks in the market for sure. Um, so they, to have a touch integrated and to be that light is it was a quite an uh, amazing feat from our engineers. So you're you're integrating touch um, right across the Vio range now. Exactly right. Every single Vio that we launch from today will have touchscreen integrated in in the Australian market, and every single device will have One Touch, which is Sony's branding for NFC technology. Okay, now um, we, we've just had uh, Apple launch uh, their new MacBook Airs. Um, now, the, you know, the specs of those have been pretty interesting. We're pretty impressive uh, when, when we heard those numbers come come through. Uh, very thin and, and, and light uh, with some pretty impressive uh, uh, battery life. Uh, but they they uh, don't have the touchscreen that you've got here, uh, and they're a fair chunk heavier uh, than the than the Vio Pro. So maybe you can just run us through what is the battery life on the uh, the Pro 11 and the uh, the Pro 13? Yeah, sure, no problem. So the Pro 11 is seven and a half hours with the the native battery, but you can actually have an extended battery uh, added on, and that will take you double that to 15 hours battery life. And if you step up into the Pro 13, natively eight and a half hours and then 17 hours if you put on that extended battery cool now um, obviously uh, you know as we shrink devices down there are going to be some uh, you know some things that have to sort of fall by the wayside you know we're starting to see a lot of devices that don't have a, uh, an ethernet port or a way to you know uh, connect a monitor and, and and so on you know directly how are you addressing that with the uh, the via the via pro what ports uh, are there in the in the device and then what are the uh, what are the extra options that you can add on to the via pro so you can see here we've got two USB 3.0 native and also HDMI uh, native to the machine. But what we've included in the box is this uh, dongle, which is HDMI to VGA. So for those that are using projectors, etc., with VGA still, um, you can do that natively with this uh, dongle. And then for Ethernet, what we've got is this is the AC adapter. You'll notice that the AC adapter also has a USB in there, so that allows you to do charging and things like that. But what you can also do is put in this little dong- oh, accessory, I should say, and if you put that into the USB, it'll power this, and this becomes a wireless router. Yeah, so obviously people can't see what that is, but uh, basically we've got uh, something on there that's not really a whole lot bigger than a, uh, than a, than a matchbox, and uh, this, this plugs into the, uh, the power supply for the Vio, and uh, this little uh, matchbox-sized device, uh, yeah, is a, is a wireless uh, access uh, point, and you just you know, jam an Ethernet cable into it, uh, and then you're, uh, you're able to deliver, uh, you know, wireless if you, uh, if you don't already have a... Uh, um uh, a wireless, you know, connection where, where where you are, but there is an Ethernet jack, so that's an alternative. Of course, you can plug in, uh, you know, a dongle that would go into a USB uh, port. There are various those sorts of things uh, as well. All right, well, uh, that looks pretty cool. Now, um, with the release of uh, of Windows 8, we saw uh, we saw the Vio uh, Duo 11 launched, um, and uh, you know that stood out because it was quite a unique sort of form factor. A um, you know a screen that could sort of slide down over the keyboard and turn it into a, uh, you know, I guess a, 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 a tablet, a little bit thicker than a tablet without a keyboard, uh, but, but quite a nice idea. Now, uh, you're, you're coming out here with the Vio uh, Duo 13. Can you just run us through what are the differences between the 11 and the 13? Obviously, stepping up in screen size from that 11 inch to the 13, what does that do to uh, uh, the weight of the, the device? Yeah, so despite being a bigger screen, the device only goes up 50 grams. It goes from 1.25 kilos to only 1.3. So it's amazingly light for a 13 inch device. 
Okay, and uh, there's been a bit of a change, uh, obviously thanks to these new, the new uh, you know, fourth-gen core processors from Intel. Uh, there's a bit of a change in battery life. Run us through what it, what it was uh, before in the Duo 11 and what it is in this uh, Duo 13. Yeah, so in the Duo 11 we had four and a half hours, and in the Duo 13 we've more than doubled that to 11 hours battery life now. So when you do have it in tablet mode and you're having that, you know, tablet experience, people come to expect that long battery life. So 11 hours, I think, more than, more than covers that. Oh, well, that's very cool. Well, uh, thank, thank you very much, uh, Jun, for, uh, for giving us a run-through. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty, pretty impressed with, the, with these new products. Uh, looking forward to seeing what your competitors come out with. But, uh, you know, as sort of first uh, cab off the rank, as it were, with, uh, um, with devices of this form factor, uh, these are looking pretty, uh, pretty impressive. I think you set the bar uh, fairly high. I appreciate that. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. And now let's hear what Acer have. They've got something new and exciting, so we'll jump in with that. Acer W3, 8-inch screen, 8-hour eight eight hour battery life. Who do you think is going to buy this product? I, I will suggest this will be, you know, fit for all purpose, right? For student, for SMB customer, um, for even for some corporate clients, they are looking for such solutions. Yep. And uh, this is the first win- Windows tablet, other than the Windows RT-based tablets, to uh, to ship with Microsoft uh, Microsoft Office. Is, is that right? Which version of Office does it come with? Uh, this is coming with the Microsoft Office Home and Student 2013. It's a full full version. Great, great. Okay, so that's uh, that's just weeks away in the Australian market. Uh, I guess we, we we maybe have to find out from uh, Ace in New Zealand about the New Zealand release date, or do you have any information on uh, on that? I would say the release date in New Zealand would be relatively similar as the Australian date, which is still a couple of weeks away. Okay, uh, well that, that's great. Okay, so that's the Acer uh, W3, first uh, eight-inch Windows 8 tablet. Now, looking uh, looking elsewhere, you've got a range of products today, but one of the ones that's coming out, I think, uh, in the August time frame, uh, is the Aspire R7. That in the August time frame, that's going to be available uh, with the fourth-gen uh, Intel uh, Core uh, processor. Can you run us through the highlights of the uh, of the new R7? What we what we would expect. This is a much bigger um, device. It's a hybrid uh, device. Yes, uh, the new Aspire R7 is uh, we call it a ESO, and uh, it comes with a 15.6 full HD 10-point multi-touch screen. And the device and that, that's full HD, isn't it? Absolutely, it is full HD. And the device can be uh, using as a, a few different mode. It can be. Using as a sorry, can't, can't. sorry, I got something stuck in the throat. Okay. Sorry again. Um. Okay, so looking at the, uh, we're now looking at the Acer um, Aspire R7. Now this this is a new uh, a new form factor, and in the August time frame, we're going to see this become available with the uh, new fourth generation Intel Core uh, processors. Um, the one on display is uh, is i7 uh, based. Uh, tell us what are the highlights of, of this device? It's uh, it, it looks somewhat unusual. It's a bit of a you know convertible type. Uh, device you've got uh, you know a, t- a tablet mode to it, um, but it but it can change. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, it is quite unusual to see the touchpad is not sitting at the front uh, of the device; is uh, actually sitting in the back. So it is a uh, more about uh, using it as a device for typing and also touching at the same time. So we can use it like uh, of a typing mode, right? First of all. Or we can use it as a tablet mode if you try to fold the screen down. Right. Yeah. So you push the screen right down, and and it's uh, and it's a thick tablet with a keyboard underneath, and then you can flick that back out, get back to the keyboard. But yeah, that is really unusual having the touchpad at the other end of the uh, of the keyboard. But you know, the, clearly the focus uh, is on is on accessibility of the keyboard and and bringing that touchscreen really really close, uh, so you can control it via touch rather than necessarily using the. Uh, the, the tablet. That's quite an unusual approach. Um, is this something that you've 
spent much time uh, playing with? How, how do you think that's going to work for people? I guess it's a new way of working. Uh, yes, I think this is a new way of working because a uh, normal tablet we are talking at best about 10 or 11.6 inch. Now we are talking 15.6 inch with full HD. And on top of it, for the Gen 4 Haswell version, the Aspire R7 will be bundled with uh, active stylus pen, so that will even enhance the customer user experience further. Okay, that's great. Um, yeah, it looks like a really nice device, you know, full high-definition screen. And the battery life that we're sort of expecting with that um, Haswell or fourth-generation um, Intel Core processor, what, uh, what's the battery life that you're, uh, you're picking that this will have when it, uh, when it hits, hits the market uh, in the next couple of months? We are expecting at least eight hours of uh, battery life out of this uh, device. Well, that's uh, that's pretty good. I don't think we've seen a you know device of this sort of uh, you know size and uh, and weight before uh, with that sort of battery life. So that's great. Well, thank you, uh, thank you very much for your for your time. Um, great to get a bit of an overview on uh, two of your uh, your key new products, and uh, we look forward to spending a bit more time with them. Thanks again. Well, that's it. That wraps us up for another episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed listening in. Uh, of course, we'd love you to uh, to connect with us through our social media channels, uh, Twitter, which is at NZ Tech Podcast. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Google Plus if you'd like to uh, connect with us on those channels. Always great to hear from uh, from the listeners. And you can email us feedback at NZ Tech Podcast. So uh, nztechpodcast.com. So uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening in. We'll catch you on the next episode. See ya.